Hello and welcome to episode 52 of Life with Fire podcast, the podcast that explores our relationship with fire and how we can better coexist with it in the future. I'm your host, Amanda Monti, and we have a special episode for you today. We are always talking about how grateful we are that we are sponsored by Mystery Ranch Backpacks. Um, Mystery Ranch has supported us from day one. I talk about this all the time, but really they are walking the walk when it comes to supporting creatives in the wildland fire world and supporting folks in telling their stories about their experiences in wildland fire and really giving a platform and a voice to a community that historically has been often misunderstood or really unheard of. Uh, I feel like a lot of folks don't really understand what goes on in the wildland fire world. Um, And so providing that platform is super critical to more folks understanding what we do. My first experience of working with Mystery Ranch was back in 2018 um, during my first season on a hotshot crew. I was a backbone contributor for them. They do this series called the Backbone Series. So I wrote this essay for them and I ended up actually writing it in the back of the buggy, um, sent it off. Um, They included it on their website. Since then, they've built this Backbone Series out to be a pretty robust sort of representation of the voice of wildland firefighting. You get tons of different perspectives um, from folks all up and down the sort of chain hierarchy from seasonals to perms to superintendents. So it's really cool. It's a good like cross section of the wildland firefighting community. And if you're interested in that, whether or not you're a writer or or a creative or consider yourself either of those things, um, I would recommend just like looking into it. I can post uh, the link for it in this episode's show notes. But the Backbone series is really cool. It's a really cool way to have your voice heard, to have your experiences heard. Um, And it's just, like I said, a really cool representation of the wildland fire community. So not only do they run the Backbone series, but they support creators like me and are generally just incredibly supportive of the wildland fire community from the policy side of things to the creative side of things to actually giving us really good backpacks to use day in and day out. So can't speak highly enough of Mystery Ranch. And the reason I'm telling you all this is because I have Mystery Ranch's fire program director, Luke Mayfield, on the show today. Luke and I had a lot to talk about, not only because we both are ZigZag Hotshot alumni, and so we always have things to talk about there. Um, We also worked on a burnout together on the Klondike Fire back in 2018. That was a particularly memorable burnout because the wind shifted and we got smoked out and our burn slopped over and we had to work for like four more days to wrap it up on the other side of the road. Uh, That night was quite memorable. We were up pretty late and things got a little hairy. Um, but Luke and I were on that fire together, on that on that sectional line together, actually. So that all to say, every time I get to see Luke, I have a great time catching up with him. And this conversation was no different. Uh, we covered a lot of ground. We talked about his work with Grassroots Wildland Firefighters, this really cool organization that's doing some awesome policy work in the wildland fire space to get uh, wildland firefighters better pay, treatment, benefits, all of the above. Um, and then we talked about his career at Mystery Ranch, what he's working on there. I will say that we talked about, you know, some tougher issues. We talked a lot about why he got out of fire, um, kind of what he was working through, what he was dealing with when he decided to get out of fire and move into a more sort of stable career with Mystery Ranch. We also discussed some of the common mental health problems that come up in the wildland fire community. So substance abuse, um, some like panic attacks, depression, Uh, also trigger warning for those who are sensitive to conversations about suicidal ideation. We do discuss that very minimally kind of in passing, but I did want to bring that up just in case any of our listeners are sensitive to that. 
And I want to say that this is not an episode only for wildland firefighters. I think that this topic and the issues that that we talked about are especially prescient for folks who are adjacent to the wildland fire community. So maybe folks who know a wildland firefighter or who live in a fire adapted ecosystem or community. And even those that are like completely removed from wildland firefighting, maybe who live in a place that doesn't see fire very often or who don't know any wildland firefighters, I think this is still pretty important to listen to and it's important to understand the issues and the challenges facing our wildland firefighters. Um, The fire season is just kicking off right now in the Western US. Uh, We have folks, I know hotshot crews that are already preparing to go to Alberta tomorrow to help support the Canadian Fire Service with the fires that are happening in Alberta. So fire season is here um, and it's our responsibility to be privy to the challenges facing the wildland firefighters that help protect our communities um, and that do a lot of the fuel mitigation and fuel reduction work that is essential to building community resilience to wildfire. Um, These folks are doing really good work and I think it is all of our responsibilities to um, be advocating for them and to be privy to what's going on and especially those of us who live in fire adapted ecosystems and communities across the West. So I'll get off my soapbox now. Luke and I talk about this at length, so you'll just get more of it here in a few minutes. But nonetheless, I appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. And I hope you enjoy this episode. All right, Luke, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. I would love to hear like a quick background on you. Like, what have you been up to? What are you all about? Tell me a little bit about your fire experience and what your current position is. Cool. Um, my name is Luke Mayfield. Uh, current position, I'm currently the fire program manager for Mystery Ranch Backpacks. Um, how I got here was probably, uh, I guess, a self-advocated accident, but it worked out. Previous to that, I spent 18 years with the United States Forest Service. Um, I worked on seven forests in four different regions. My first six years were on fuels, crews, engines, and initial attack modules. Uh, Had a tough time um, getting on hotshot crews. Decided that I wanted to be a hotshot probably in 2002 and started trying to pursue it. Um, And then had uh, some successful fill-in experiences and uh, a shitty experience. The the first crew that I got on, um, I'd say most of it I brought on to myself uh, in 05. So it took me till 07 to finally get on the zigzag hotshots. And I worked for zigzag from 07 to 12. Uh, moved down to New Mexico um, to get my squad leader position with Silver City hotshots and then lateraled um, to the Rogue River Hotshots back in Region 6 and spent uh, from 2015 until March of 2019 with Rogue River uh, when I resigned to take this position with Mystery Ranch Backpacks. Mm -hmm. And that's like a pretty significant amount of fire experience. Was it, how hard was that decision to move into something a little more kind of sustainable or at least that's what I would perceive your new job as being compared to hot shotting. Yeah, my my family may disagree with you at this current moment. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was, <clears throat> I'd been to PFTC the previous March uh, in 2018 and met with a couple folks that had become 
Well, the entire team that I was with have become people that I still try to stay in contact with. And two folks in particular, uh, I consider mentors in this fire business and life. And we talked a lot during that time about the, the things that we saw that we didn't agree with within the agency. Um, and then from PFTC, I guess that kind of spurred my thought process because I started hearing about the Lessons Learned Center and HPILL and all of these little niche departments that existed within the agencies that I'd never heard about. And that was coming. I mean, I had, I think my daughter was four or five at the time. Uh, hotshot seasons were getting longer. You know, a thousand hours is easy to get anymore. Um, and most of them were 1200 plus. Uh, it was starting to affect me in an unhealthy manner. I was having, I would say I never went to a doctor or anything, but seasonal depression, um, a couple what I would call anxiety disorders after their uh, anxiety attacks um, mm -hmm. after seasons. And I really wanted to be a hotshot superintendent. I'd made it from, you know, a failed hotshot to an assistant hotshot superintendent. Um, I ended up detailing as a hotshot soup uh, later on in 18. And I really wanted to get that hotshot superintendent job, but I also knew that at most I had a three-year um, shelf life to maintain hotshotting before I didn't think it would end well for me personally, uh, just due to the, the inner struggle that I was having before seasons and after seasons and stuff that I never told anyone about while I was employed. Um, so in 18, I ended up getting a phone call from one of my PFTC mentors like, hey, I heard about this job. It sounds like it's a livable, plannable income, and I think you'd be good at it. So I called Mystery Ranch and was like, hey, I heard you have this job. And they were like, oh, you have to talk to someone else later. And so I kept pursuing it, ended up submitting a 16-page federal resume to a recruiting service while on a fire assignment. And then it just went from there. Talked to my wife a ton about it. I kept it pretty close to the vest for a while internally. And then when it came down to a job offer and counter offers, I called... I think nine people that I trusted, a lot of them from the hotshot community. Um, and there wasn't one person that told me to stay. Everyone told me to leave, you know, some of the bits of advice that I heard from folks. Uh, one was we spend too much time in this industry worried about retirement and not enough time worried about living. Um, and then another person that I, look up to a heck of a lot their comment to me was do you want to be me like go and people there no one gave me a reason to stay and the feds the agency didn't give me a reason to stay um and it coincided with you know a vision that probably got kind of spurred back in 07 and kept growing and growing um and then with my pftc folks like i wanted to see a movement uh, and I didn't know what that movement was. I didn't know what it would look like, but I wanted to see the fire community come together to work on workforce reforms that wouldn't leave people in the position that I was finding myself in. Mm -hmm. uh, so I took the job with Mystery Ranch and it's been, they haven't fired me yet. It's been pretty good so far. <laughs> How has that position allowed you to do the things that you want to do, um, especially so with grassroots? 
Yeah, I mean, um, they support it 100% yeah. um, on multiple levels, directly and indirectly. Uh, they've all jumped on board across departments to support grassroots, to stand up the the Backbone Scholarship and the Backbone Series to educate the general public on what, uh, you know, a job is in, in wildland fire and the sacrifice that it takes to be good at it. Um, and they support, you know, wholeheartedly. They, I mean, I, it's more than just backpacks, I guess, at Mystery Ranch. A lot of it is the people that we serve um, and making sure that we're not only building the best equipment for them, but we're actually like, we truly have their backs outside of the job as well. Uh, so they've been, they've been amazing. Um, and, you know, a lot of the grassroots work, I, I don't want to say that it crosses over, but it, it's fully supported. And uh, I would say that Mystery Ranch certainly has, you know, regardless of end user, but has their backs. Mm -hmm. um, and I interviewed on portions of it and, I didn't know what it was, you know, it wasn't until I ended up meeting Kelly Martin with a, a friend of mine who I'll keep anonymous. Um, and we were asking some questions to someone rather high up and Kelly turned around and was like, yeah, this is up. like, let's do something about it. So the three of us started having calls and that turned into grassroots wildland firefighters. And four years later, we're we're still going pretty darn strong. Yeah, getting stronger by the day, from what I understand or from what I can see. Um, before we talk about grassroots, I would love to kind of hear more about what I mean, I, I don't it's hard to answer this question because I think fundamentally fire like federal firefighting is is just so unsustainable kind of from a foundational at a foundational level. But I'm curious if you can speak to anything that would have sort of kept you in fire, um, what conditions would have what what conditions could have changed to have kept you around? I mean, initially, you know, the first thing that grassroots ever did was release the United States Forest Service and a paradigm shift. Um, and that was based off of everything that would have kept me employed. So it was the pay, the classification, uh, the retirement benefits, health benefits, uh, a stronger comprehensive health and well-being program. Hopefully the attempt to increase an expanded workforce and increase that expanded workforce, not just for fire, but specific to land management and hazardous fuels removal, uh, using all the tools in the toolbox. Uh, prescribed fire is probably my favorite tool to use in that manner. Um, and then, you know, we've always considered or have as that pillar for a national fire service. But for for me, it was the classification, pay and benefits and joint comprehensive health and well-being program that formed the basis of that initial paper, um, the United States Forest Service and the paradigm shift. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you um, tell me a little bit about like the momentum of grassroots, I guess, from that point to now? Um, and, you know, what that's entailed, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'll say, you know, grassroots will never take credit for anything that that's happening right now. I think we've played a part in it and we played a, you know, provided a platform platform for advocacy and self-advocacy. And we have found ourselves in fortunate positions to serve as subject matter experts. Um, yeah across multiple uh, groups, administratively mm -hmm. and or legislatively. 
Um, I think number one, the wildland community is amazing and full of very intelligent people that did a lot of things in previous lives or have moved on to amazing things in their current lives. Um, and some of it was luck. Some of it, I think, is was the right timing. Mm -hmm. I mean, these issues, like I said, we didn't invent them. There was people in 1989, a group of hotshot soups that, that really started this, in my opinion. And I know that it was a topic of conversation previous to that. Um, you know, classification, a fire service, uh, pay parity with partners. Like this has been going on a very long time. But I think what's happened is that we've had success in turning it into a year-round effort and getting the, the public's attention via some, some key assistance and relationships with the media um, and legislative staffs. And I mean, just look at where we're at. It, it's a totally different fire landscape than even when I started, you know, my first season in 2001 and even up till 2007, it, it was not the, the fires that we see today or the fires that I left as a regular government employee or, mm -hmm. or as an AD now uh, mm -hmm. when I'm able to go out. So I think some of it's luck, timing, and just an amazing community of folks that were able to have a vision. I mean, it went from three people to probably six or seven within a couple months. Um, and it was all through recommendations throughout the wildland community. And then we've had folks like my friend John Golden from uh, – ASG that left, you know, he resigned around the same time I did in 2019, 2020, and went and got a policy degree. So he knew where we were failing and what we were trying to recommend. Like when we shotgunned that first paper out, it's like we figured out what the the email patterns were for Senate staffs. And then we figured out the staff members on the Senate and Energy and Natural Resource Committee. And then we just hoped that we got it right, like first name dot last name at Senate dot blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Send it up. And Johnny came on board. Um, and we've just had, I mean, there's, I think, 10 or 11 of us that are a part of the board, but then as part of those subcommittees, like our communications team is comprised of like 11 people. Our health and uh, comprehensive health and well-being subcommittee is comprised of probably at least 11 people, um, you know, as they can take part. But we've had an individual that you know, is extremely intelligent, but figured out how to make a web page, which provided for the advocacy and self-advocacy. And uh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess we had a That's bunch great. of people that, that cared. Yeah. And we work in an industry that looks at our coworkers as a family. Um, you spend more time as a federal wildland firefighter sleeping in the dirt than you do with your own family. Um, I certainly did for the, the last 10 years of my career. Mm -hmm. um, so you get a, enough motivated, intelligent folks with work ethic, you know, especially the work ethic that you develop from a career in fire. It's pretty amazing what, what you can accomplish and what you can keep going. Uh, and we've also been able to grow just the strategic partnerships, I guess. You know, we've been working as closely as we can with the National Federation of Federal Employees and, and other nonprofit organizations. 
Uh, we certainly look to the U.S. Hotshot Association and others for advice and just try to keep people included. It's amazing what providing transparency and not holding information information hostage does for an organization, especially if you can educate the public on on how messed up it is. And, and wildland fire, we spend so much time like hide from the media, don't say anything, you're a quiet professional. And I agree with all of that, you know, my hotshot self, like, I don't, I just want to do the work and, and go home and, and crush, you know, a piece of line or, or whatever's put in front of me. But it's also put us in the position that we're in to where federal wildland firefighters have largely been unrecognized, undercompensated, um, and, and to a certain extent forgotten about. Totally. Yeah. Like we've lost our voice a little bit. Um, not that I don't know that we've ever, that we ever really had one given that culture of, of, you know, you owe the crew beers if you end up on the news kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, I, I feel the same way from the hotshot standpoint of, yeah, just put your head down and do the work that you're asked to do. Um, but yeah, putting a face to the very broad name, broad, like wildland firefighters, putting a face to that or putting many faces to that is, has I, I think that's something that you guys have done really well, and it's something that's contributed greatly to the increased understanding of these problems and the fact that like AOC was talking about this and actually was talking about wildland firefighting in the workforce and the problems that are facing that workforce. And I don't know that any of that would have been. I mean, I just think the momentum you guys are building with getting folks on the media, putting a face to the name, putting a face to the industry has been really important in building that understanding. Um, so, you know. I guess I would just I like would like to encourage firefighters to have a little bit more, you know, being be a little more willing to sh to speak with the media, uh, maybe not when you're like actively <laughs> working, but certainly after the fact. And I've been really grateful that in all the stories that I've written about wildland firefighters, people have been super keen to chat with me. Um, and yeah, sharing those experiences is so critical in people understanding what, what is going on. Um, I like what you said. Yeah. The holding info hostage thing is just, it, I think that's across the board, whether you're on a team or whether you're on a crew, um, you know, it just feels like it feels like holding that information hostage is just kind of, it's just backfiring on us. So I respect that work. I'm psyched that you guys are doing that. Um, have you started to see that cultural shift that you guys are sort of aiming for? Like, what are you guys seeing amongst the folks that you're talking to in Washington, DC? Yeah, man, a lot. You, this is historic, the amount of work that's been done over the last three years. This has all been building for 30 plus years. I think, you know, with grassroots, with social media, with folks like Ben Strawn and and the coverage of Eldo and, and some yeah. really high quality photographers and journalists and Niffy really getting into the the fire advocacy side of things. Um, it's at the forefront, like it's a priority of President Biden. Like, mm -hmm. what I don't know what else to say. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's in FY twenty four budget proposal, um, and there's multiple folks that are looking for ways to see that happen. If you look at the budget and infrastructure law. Um, and how much of that has affected wildland fire up to now, 
um, and from the classification mandate to go from forestry technician, supervisory forestry technician to a wildland firefighter series. Uh, we are, you know, anticipating and greatly hope that we also see position description modernization happen alongside of that, which we think it will. Um, and I believe it is happening currently with the DOI. Um, yeah. And at the same time, we have to have that permanent fix. Otherwise, we're going to hit the, a firefighter fiscal cliff, um, you know, come last day of September 2023, if that permanent solution isn't passed for October, October 1st, uh, fiscal year 2024. Mm -hmm. And I think we've got the support to do it across the aisles and across both houses. Um, so, I mean, not, it's huge. Like the budget proposal on its own, is it perfect? No, but is it historic? Like, yeah, it's light years ahead of anywhere we've ever been. And we do think that there's opportunities to fine tune it, to make it a bit better. Is it ever going to be perfect? No, but I think that it's it's going to be excellent. And I think that we've got the support to provide something that improves the recruitment and retention of the federal workforce. Um, and to me, federal wildland firefighters are the finest civilian operators that exist mm -hmm. anywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an easy sell. It's like an across the aisle sell. I don't know. I don't know how it's taking, you know, it's not taking that long. You know, I think I think this is only a conversation that started really happening in force in the last couple of years, mostly because of you guys. Um, but it is it is frustrating to see kind of like the bureaucratic molasses pace uh, that sometimes these things can take still. Uh, it's, it's, it's cool to see that it's happening. And that's, that's a cool update. I actually hadn't, I didn't really know it was the, uh, fiscal year 2024 that you guys have some good stuff in there. Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly, I mean, the president's budget for FY 24 puts a permanent pay fix, yeah. um, a proposed permanent pay fix. And then it's got the en enhanced premium pays, which is a standby premium pay. I think it's being referred to as um and the fixed schedule are the big ones uh that that'll work on prescribed fires severity assignments or wildland fire assignments at a 15 and 9 um and then the the year over year funding for that joint comprehensive health and well-being program and money allocated specific to housing to hopefully start digging out of the the current housing situation that's either putting people in dilapidated, out of dated, out of date buildings in some cases, um, or having them in their cars or in tents. I mean, I, I think we've all all seen that. Um, I've seen it since probably 06. Yeah. Um, I was unfortunate 01 to 05 to always have nice bunkhouses, but certainly was exposed to it and saw it in 06 through now. Yeah. Um, honestly, my my bunkhouse at Zigzag was great, but I lived in some gnarly stuff in uh, in Idaho. Well, and like, some of it's fun. Like you don't think. Right, right. And that's that's what I, I don't know. And I think as part of future change, uh, someone said, because I do think that all of this pay and classification to a certain extent is just tightening the tourniquet a little more and providing those incentives to keep people in. I don't know how many people it'll, it'll draw on after that. Like I also think that there needs to be 
some administrative fixes, a, a quote that I heard at the last national comprehensive, I'm going to screw it up, at an IAWF conference, um, a woman stood up and she was amazing. And she said, tweaking 21st century systems doesn't fix 21st century problems. Um, and I, I think that that has to happen alongside the in the enhancements and classification pay benefits and joint comprehensive health and well-being programs because one thing that started hitting me more and more and we dealt with it on module levels um, at least on my last crew uh, was talking about like the fiscal responsibilities the pitfalls of this job like the effects that work hard play hard is gonna have over the long run and that we're not preparing you know i was a single snowboard bum like i was a college student and then a ski bum um and then i got married and then i got married and had a mortgage and then i got married had a mortgage had an additional um car payment and then i had that plus a kid uh, and then we were moving all the time and like a thousand hours of overtime wasn't to be hotshot rich in the winter and snowboard all over the world it was to make ends meet and it wasn't it wasn't planable it wasn't livable um, and it started really affecting my mental health. Um, and, and we have to be able to onboard folks and have true systems in place that they've got plentiful and livable income and enough overtime to make ends with me. And, and that's part of the proposal too. Like some of the, in order to meet the budget and infrastructure loss supplement, some of the expectation is that on the ground operators are still operators. And, and I, I, I don't disagree with that. Like there's always an expectation in this business that when the phone rings, you're going to answer the call and you're going to go operate on the, the wildland ground. And, and mm -hmm. that, that's just the nature of the job to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's my perspective personally. Mm -hmm. Do you, can you talk a little bit about the sort of road trip that you've been on for the last couple of weeks since you got back from Africa? Um, I know you've been talking to some crews and I'm just curious, kind of like what you're sharing with those crews. If maybe you have some stuff that might be applicable to other crews and maybe we can amplify that message a bit. Yeah. Um, well, the first part of this last trip, I was in Washington, D.C., uh, speaking with some folks and just trying to garner as much support for the FY24 president's budget proposal and then see in what manners we could see that happen in case of a continuing resolution or anything that would hold up the, that proposal package as a whole, how we could see the wildland specific portions of it um, pass independently and how we could help and how we could keep beating the drum. So garnering support for that. Uh, from there, I went to California and went to the Hot Shot Up Volleyball Tournament. So got to speak to a bunch of former and current hot shots, uh, primarily from region five, uh, federally and from the county level. And that was an amazing event. Uh, Anthony Powers does an excellent job uh, of throwing that in honor of um, line of duty deaths this year money was raised for colin hagan's family and uh city of stockton structure firefighter uh, that was killed in the line of duty 
Um, and then I went to an R5 crew and just got the, which I always enjoyed the opportunity, got to go hang out with the R5 hotshot crew for the day and just kind of give them this feel of, of my career, where the career was, what path it was leading me down to, you know, in a large part was due to that work hard, play hard. Like I could tell people how to avoid it while I was going home and, and still doing it um, to a certain extent, like practice what I preach. Um, I was not doing that. Um, so talking about that, the transition, the opportunities, the importance of relationships and how the entire system works, not just from bitching on the hillside with your, your saw buddy or your bitch buddy or whomever it is, but how you need to have a voice, you need to advocate for yourselves and, Grassroots is a platform for self-advocacy and, uh, you know, community advocacy across the board. Um, and just the, the power of this job, you know, and to me, it's not just hot shotting, but hot shotting was a huge part of my life and uh, the skills and abilities that it gives you, like it, it, it formed the basis for the most part for who I am as a, a person and the values that are instilled in me, uh, you know, duty, respect, integrity are drilled into everyone, but it's like you keep hot-shotting it for a long enough time and the words character, accountability, attitude, and effort start getting added onto that. And the more you start learning about leadership and the art of leadership and command presence and providing uh, leader's intent, task, purpose, and end state, and how all of those skills are really setting you up for success in anything you want to do. Like, I think those skills have directly applied to me not having been fired yet by Mystery Ranch, but it, it's been a pretty successful run <laughs> here. Um, and I've just really realized that, especially the way in which hotshot crews operate with clear and concise communication, um, I think, you know, the collaboration or the ability to direct um, are just they're game changers in my opinion, and they they work across industry. It's not just being in the woods, it's sitting at a desk or going to meet with legislators um, and just being able to stand up and, and have that presence and be able to provide uh, leaders intent. Mm Wildland fire and the fire community. I mean, wildland fire and the job that I had is the most gratifying job I've ever had. It also made me want to shoot myself um, towards the end. So I, uh, yeah, the rapid roller coaster of emotions, man. I, I only had 1000 hour season, but the winter after that, I had a pretty severe, like depressive episode. And I was like, what is going on? Like, I didn't know what was going on at all. I had no idea. Um, had no idea what the, the, what it looked like, you know, and what to like look for. And it, when it was ha- when I was in the midst of it, I was just like, this is so weird. What's happening to me? And then, of course, like after a year or two of like reflection, I was like, oh, I was just like super high on dopamine for like eight months or six months yeah. or whatever. And then I just lost all of it. And um, you lose those people. Say that so again. You lose all those people. And yeah. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Um, I I hated everybody. The only people I liked were people in Nomex and being on a hillside, making decisions and and doing, you know, guerrilla stuff in the woods. 
with a bunch of motivated folks and right. people to buy in on plans. And once that's gone, it was, it was, it got tougher and tougher, the cumulative effects. And, you know, that's something that I hope seriously gets looked at is, is what work to rest ratio truly looks like just not over an operational period, but uh, over a fire season and a fire career and how that can influence what the, the true work schedule is and how people are deployed and how I think it can truly enhance um, the movement of resources across the nation and provide more workforce flexibility, but also workforce overall health. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, That's an interesting thought, right? Like not only like the very acute work rest ratio of like a single day, but like the two to three year work rest ratio even. 20 plus years like, or 20 yeah. years right for me i'm thinking like after after a season it, it it's just crazy how things manifest um and you know how long it can take for them to manifest and how mm-hmm. because of the length of time that it takes for those things to manifest you often don't understand where it's coming from yeah. even though it's like very clearly rooted in in this crazy life that <laughs> that you live and even even once you know i'm like oh whiskey will still cure that right i know it's like i just i still ignore all of the things that i know to be true about wellness i'm still like well i better yeah. just like keep running myself into the ground preparing for next season <laughs> yep. all right guys that is what we have for you today hopefully that was an insightful episode for you guys whether or not you work in wildland fire And hopefully you're able to look into what Grassroots is doing and some of the work that Luke is doing. It's really cool and it's worth supporting. And there's a number of ways that you can support that work, whether it's emailing your senator, um, donating, giving the wildland firefighter in your life a little bit of grace in the off season when they're moody and or really sad. Um, All of these things help. And I will link to Grassroots and the work that they're doing in this episode's show notes, in addition to a link to Mystery Ranch's Backbone series. And then I will also include an affiliate link to the Mystery Ranch website so that if you need a backpack or a briefcase or any of the things that Mystery Ranch provides, you can use that affiliate link and it helps us out on the back end. All right. I think that's all. Uh, I appreciate you guys listening as always, and we will catch you on the next episode.